Welcome back to the, the mentors. mentors. Finally, we are spot on with our introduction, Sergey. Good job. I we done good. I'm proud of you. Uh, this is Vadim and Sergey, and this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite having no experience, money, or connections. And today on the program, we have Britt Martin and Jen Kim, who are the founders of Food Period. Food Period designs functional food products that support and improve menstrual cycles. Uh, so you guys have a very big market, which is very cool. Uh, but uh, full disclosure, I have been working with Britt and Jen over the last several months as they participated uh, in the NYU Summer Launchpad Accelerator Program as part of the NYU Entrepreneurial Institute. Uh, they've gone through the program. They've been growing very quickly. And so that's why we decided to bring them on the show. They've won a couple of competitions along the way. And one of the prizes actually was getting on the show on this podcast, the Mentors Podcast. And so we finally were able to pull them out of their busy schedule to speak with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I was actually also in that competition and was uh, diligently helping deliberate. <laughs> deliberate? That's the word? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm so bad at English sometimes. And uh, knew that we had to get you guys on the show because you had a really cool story. So. so let's start with actually really back in the beginning because... We, we talk a lot about how to find a co-founder, how to make sure that you have a good co-founding relationship with that person and you can actually have a chance of successfully running a company together. But one of the things that we talk about is it's best if you've worked with someone before in some capacity or if you have some sort of trusting relationship with them. So tell us a little bit about how you guys met, how you started working together, all of that. So Jen and I have actually been best friends since we were 14. We met at a boarding school on the west coast of Canada. And on our first day, um, we realized that we were in rooms across the hall from each other. And so her bedroom was across from mine. And we just kind of instantly had it, hit it off. Mm. And we spent the next four years like literally getting in trouble every day because we'd be sneaking into each other's room after lights out. <laughs> We what, were, what's the worst getting in trouble story that you have that you can reveal here? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it wasn't too bad. They just like sat in the hallway and just waited for us to get out of each other's rooms and just run up, dash across the hall. I think that was probably so the worst slumber one. party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Got it. We did that too. <laughs> and my roommate would be like, why are you guys having a sleepover? You guys literally live across the hall from each other. We're like, no, we need to have the sleepover. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, then, then what happened next? So you guys met, uh, met in boarding school and you would get in trouble. Then what? <laughs> we started playing competitive badminton together, actually. And so um, we, we would go every single night after what's called prep. It's like your homework time. Um, you have a couple of hours afterward and we just like dash to the gym as quickly as we could and play for an hour and a half every single night. And we joined the team. Um, we actually competed at the provincial level as doubles partners in Canada. Wow, wow. <laughs> uh, Never heard of that. So you developed the bond in school, playing sports, sleeping over each other's places. And then uh, what happened when you got to college? Yeah, so we kind of went our different ways. Jen um, went to Boston University, and then I went over to the UK to the University of St. Andrews. And Jen visited me in first year. I visited her a couple times in Boston, but we definitely didn't keep as closely in touch as we had been for those four years just because... We were living different lives. Mm. And then so when did you guys reconnect? We always had kept in touch because oh, okay. we've been best friends, but we weren't keeping as closely in touch. And I guess recently 
or um, a couple of years ago after college, we always wanted to do a startup together. So we would have good ideas. Like before food period, we had about six other ideas and we'd be like touching base about that and like talking about that on like a monthly basis. Did you actually try any of those ideas? We, I remember we would come up with different ideas and like one, I flew down to LA for the weekend where Jen was living at the time I was back in Vancouver and we like just spent the weekend brainstorming to see if we could make it work. We applied to YC with a couple different ideas, totally at the ideation stage, so no luck there. YC being Y Combinator for those listening that don't know, which is a, a very competitive uh, incubation program, let's call it, without getting too much into the definitions there. Okay. So, so you were playing around with, with different ideas. What's the funniest or dumbest idea that you had in retrospect? I think probably the funniest part of all of the ideas is they really required a technical co-founder, <laughs> which neither of us are. Um, one of the ones that's so funny, we were in a pitch competition recently and a company got up and they literally pitched the same idea that we had applied to YC unsuccessfully with. What was it? What was the idea? It was um, kind of like an Airbnb, but for home cooked meals. And so it was going to be called Plate, a common name. There's so many like, plated and <laughs> yeah. these things. And so it would be, you know, when you move to a new city, if you were missing your home cooked Korean food in Jen's case, uh, you you could go find you know a Korean mom who would invite you over for dinner and you'd pay for a plate at her table. Why did you want to start a company together? Where did you get in your head that you should start a company even and be entrepreneurs? I, well, I think the reason that we knew we wanted to do something in the startup space, we wanted to have our own business is because after college, we started working and entering the real world. And I remember we would have these phone calls for hours, like in those first couple months of starting new jobs, where we'd just be like, is this what life is going to be for the <laughs> next like 40, 50 years? And we would have these like existential crises where we would have to like talk the other person down that, oh, it's going to be okay. And like, don't worry, this is only temporary. We'll find something we're really passionate about and have our own business and like just work on that one day. And it's actually crazy to think that that's what we're really doing right now. So that's what got us through those kind of hard months when we were in the real world working. That's that's great that you say that. But what, what do you think it was about the the jobs or the day to day that turned you off from from the working world and i'm sure and of course there's different types of jobs and some people work in great jobs and they're very happy for most of their careers but what is it what is it that made you frustrated and think oh is this what life is going to be like i think it was just the fact that we were so disconnected from like the end result we felt just like a cog in the machine like we weren't so passionate about what we were doing on a daily basis and I think Jen and I can be really enthusiastic and passionate people and if we're not feeling that daily it's just hard to get up and you know be part of that and motivate yourself to work if you're not really connected to what you're building so then how finally did this idea for food period come about and uh, how did you start working on it? I mean, I'm assuming you still had jobs when you started working on it. So I had moved to New York to do my master's actually in business journalism after working in finance for many years prior, looking for a bit of a change. Um, I, I had this idea and... Um, 
I actually called Jen. I called her. She was working in South Korea at the time. And I told her the idea. And she literally said to me, okay, when should I quit my job and move to New York? <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes the right idea can actually motivate you and spur you into action uh, because you're so excited about the potential of it. So I, I, I will mention that having some sort of insight into an idea that gets you excited is a way that a lot of people get off the ground, even if that idea morphs and changes. As you guys know, going through the programs at NYU, oftentimes the idea completely changes. I see you saw some for some of the teams, the target customer changes, so many different things. Um, but I also know that this this idea, this problem came to you from from a even a personal uh, story that you had, uh, because not a lot of people would even think of this as something. Um, and you came across this solution too through this problem. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the journey of how you got there to even think about what food period could be? For sure. So about two and a half years ago, I was actually diagnosed completely out of the blue with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I went through six months of chemotherapy. I started right away. And during that time, I stopped getting my period. And I went to my doctor, I spoke to my oncologist, and they seemed unbothered by this fact and were just like, we're going to put you on the birth control pill when you finish treatment. Don't even worry. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, that'll help, you know, bring back your cycle. And here I'd spent kind of six months like putting all these chemicals, all these synthetic things in my body and the idea of putting more hormones, more more chemicals in my body was just something I couldn't accept. And so I went on kind of a journey to really find every integrative health practitioner, functional medicine doctor I could find in Vancouver and just talk to them about the solutions that they had for um, amenorrhea, which is a missed period for three months or longer. And they... Um, they started telling me about this protocol called seed sinking. It's often referred to as seed cycling as well. And they said, you know, you should try it. It's it, we've seen it work on women who are in, you know, a lot worse of a state than you. And you just have to be really diligent about it because it's not an overnight fix. And so I followed the protocol religiously. And what is it? What does it entail? So it involves eating um, four different seeds in specific combinations, depending on which phase of the menstrual cycle you're in. And if you're not menstruating, then you follow the lunar cycle because it's a little known fact that um, women's menstruation actually used to follow the moon cycles back before we invented artificial light and you know our circadian rhythms were thrown off and so um i followed the lunar cycle which like <laughs> seemed a little woohoo for me <laughs> but um i followed it for three months and my period came back and without any of the pcos that's polycystic ovarian syndrome related symptoms that i had grown up experiencing and it was almost like magic. I just couldn't believe that these four seeds timed and eaten consistently could really have this sort of effect on my body. And that's how I discovered the practice. And then I moved to New York. I stopped seed sinking just because I got so busy and my period seemed to be doing great. And then my period stopped again. And I was like, what is going on? Like I eat healthy, I go to yoga, get enough sleep. And I realized the one thing that I had stopped doing was following this protocol. So I kind of used it as a test to really test the efficacy of um, how these seeds worked. And 
my period came back again, but this time within two months. And that's when I gave Jen a call and I was like, if I could have purchased these at Whole Foods, bought them online, uh, in these, I was making them into energy bites. Um, and so if I said, if I could have bought these somewhere, I totally would have. And I think there's a real opportunity to help expand the option set for women and uh, the problems they face with their periods. Yeah, and when we came up with the idea of food period, I knew that this was a brand that could make a difference on women's lives. So that's when I was so passionate and made the move from Seoul, South Korea. Wow. Now, how did you know uh, that this is going to be a big enough market where enough women are affected by this issue where you you miss your period and you want to solve that problem? So one of the best parts of being at NYU is that they really hammer home the idea of customer discovery, which I think a lot of founders miss in the early stages and have to kind of go back and reset. But uh, being really integrated into the community, we knew that was the first thing we needed to go out and do. And so we just went and started talking to women about their periods. Yeah, and we uh, way early on, we did an online survey of about 250 women and about 80% reported that they had some sort of symptom revolving around their periods. So that was promising for us. So and I think uh, one thing to listen out for here in the story is that the reason why you even considered this as a business and you noticed this as a problem that you could solve not only for yourself, but for many other women in the world is because you were already thinking about what business should we start. You wanted to work together as a team. You wanted to get out of the corporate world and start your own company. So you were listening for business ideas. Uh, Reed Hoffman and Masters of Scale recently was talking about this with his episode uh, of the woman that started Spanx, which was she had a very similar story where she was really motivated to start something and that's when she recognized the problem that she did. So I think that's that's pretty cool that you guys were able to find that. Well, the other thing I want to note is, you know, earlier on uh, when you guys were brainstorming my ideas it sounds like applying to y combinator you probably were thinking of tech businesses because that's how we're now positioned to think especially because of all the different content people consume you got to do an online business and you know obviously your business now is online enabled but you didn't have to depend on an engineer to get this thing off the ground which is incredibly important to consider you know you started with a problem that you personally experienced and then built a business around this pain that you validated other women also had um, so you, Jen, uh, mo- moved to America after hearing about this idea. How far along were you guys when you decided to make the move? Because that's a pretty big deal to, to drop everything and move to another country. Actually, I think we're very early. I, like It might have not even been called food period at that time. We had a t- completely different name for it. Food period is much better. And... Uh, so when uh, Britt told me about the idea, I was like, when should I move? I quit my job within a week and I moved to New York um, a month later. And it wasn't like such a big jump for me because I lived in Boston before, I lived in LA before. So it was um, an easy transition but because I've lived in North America most of my life. So it wasn't that drastic. But even quitting your job, you were just like, screw this. You guys have a little bit of savings to fall back on when you quit yeah, your job? Yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. I think that was um, a good like part about having worked a few years because we did have a bit of savings saved up. So in South Korea, I was working as a graphic designer and I felt like the... I really liked what I was doing, and I worked with a lot of big clients such as uh, Facebook, Samsung, SolarCity, Pfizer, but I really wanted to do something um, related even with creativity and design that I felt more passionate and about and that I could really 
input all of my creativity for because when you're working with these big clients they already have a brand guideline and it's pretty strict so you can't really unleash your creativity and um, with through period I feel like I can do that so it really excites me every day but you you liked the job uh, this design job you were working with cool clients yet you made the decision within a week to quit talk talk to me about your thought process there well I felt I feel like I've always had uh, a big client I don't mean to in, in, in uh, any way but I always been working with really big name clients and I think working with those people I really learned how to create a brand and make a brand but I didn't feel like it was my brand I was doing it for someone else and I wanted to input all the skills and all the knowledge that I learned from them into something that was more my own or our own. And I think that's very important, you know, for some people, uh, especially entrepreneurial people, having that ownership aspect is what makes everything worth doing and spending their time on. And so I could see how you could make that decision relatively quickly because you probably felt, how long were you working at this company at that point? <laughs> About two years. It was two a years. great company. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you were there for two years. You obviously already had a lot of the experience. Yeah. You had these big name clients. You got out of it a lot of value. Now probably it felt like it was a good time to move on. So Britt is smiling a little bit. I'm wondering what you're smiling about <laughs> when you're reacting to Jen. I think actually it just... It's so like thinking back on the moment when I called her and I was almost shocked too at her willingness to just kind of pick up and move here. And I remember rereading an entry I'd had in my journal uh, the morning after we'd had this conversation. And I was like, oh my God, she's really going to move here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, like it felt all of a sudden this sort of pressure and, and um, it's, but it's just so us. Like we would so take this risk together and just, she would, I knew she would trust the idea and the fact that we could accomplish it. It wasn't something that we didn't have the skills to accomplish. We could do this. And so, yeah. And speaking of trust, I think the fact that my best friend Britt was in New York, it was a lot easier. Now, have you guys had any difficult moments uh, when it comes to co-founder relationships and starting the company? 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's, just par for the course. I mean, in any friendship, you have those difficult moments. And I think uh, in business, especially, the benefit of being best friends with your co-founder is that it makes things so much more fun, so much more exciting. But it also means that you guys really know each other. You really know um, kind of all of each other's flaws. And like nothing's hidden. Everything's on the table. And so um, I think that you know there's been definitely things where we've had disagreements but the great thing is is we're just so open with each other that we'll just call each other out or talk about it right away and i think that's why we've kind of still enjoyed it and now we laugh about kind of any of those disagreements yeah and we spend all of our awake hours together and when we get home we realize we forgot to talk about something and we still facetime each other when we get home so it's been it's actually really great to work with someone that you know so well and feel so comfortable with. Well, it sounds like you guys really like each other, which is a good step. But I was going to ask you how you overcome disagreements. And it sounds like that open communication. A lot of people that are friends or call themselves friends don't actually are not actually open with each other, don't feel comfortable enough to challenge each other too. And it sounds like you guys have that. And that's what's helped you overcome some of those difficulties. Now, Jen is on her way over from Korea. Uh, and you're here feeling the pressure 
of, hey, we need to execute on this and make this real. What do you do first? What's the first step that you took in starting this company? So actually, the irony is that we applied to the summer launch pad at the NYU Entrepreneurial Institute last summer. I didn't even know that. That was before I came here. Okay. Okay. Well, clearly you didn't get in because you got into this uh, cohort. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so we actually, it's funny because we didn't even get an interview. The exact same like idea. It, was called, it wasn't called Food Period, but um, we hadn't even gotten an interview. And so we're like, like oh like it would have been so much better she was moving here because we had this program but we were just like we just need to start and so i think because jen is so strong on branding and design one of the first things we thought of is let's just like try to come up with like our brand identity let's get a logo let's start building a website um and so it was a combination of that and let's try to find um a good recipe and make these what we now call moon bites which commercialize the seed sinking practice let's make them delicious and so between those two we just kind of started experimenting and working so talk to us a little bit about the product these moon bites what does it look like physically how did you get to that so they are, um, they look like energy bites, they're circular, and we, when we first started, we made them into four, one big 40 gram energy bite, and after doing some co-creation, we realized that it was just way too big for anyone to just eat, so we made that, now we make them into two smaller energy bites in and every pack. And what's co-creation? So that's when you uh, get uh, gather some of your users, your key users that have uh, your symptoms or that are suffering with um, endocrine disorders and you ask them to make something that they would enjoy. So um, after that process, we realized that the 40 gram bite was way too big. So we make, now we make them into two smaller 20 gram moon bites. So, okay. So this is, you did this, you were perfecting the recipe with some early users. So then how did you get the first customer? Yeah, actually, the first customer is really interesting. So I was still doing my master's in business journalism, and I had started to slowly tell a few friends in the program that I was working on something completely non-journalism related. And one of them um, in class one day kind of like, like, like poked me and like whispered as the teacher was talking. And she's like, I have my period right now. I'm really suffering. My cramps are so bad. I think I need to go home. I want to buy your product and we honestly didn't even have something that we thought could be for sale and i was like okay sure and she's like can i venmo you can i can i give you cash and actually we had just kind of we had just about had our shopify site up to up to to launch and so i was like no actually you can buy it on our website and so i texted her the link and um just to see if it was gonna work if everything would go through um and she was like can't i just venmo you and i'm like no like we want to like sell it to you on the website and so she subscribed like literally sitting beside me in class and you know we went we went and made the the bites that night and i brought them to her the next day so you were talking to some people about it. How did you decide who to disclose it to? So we were talking to we were talking to like friends about it. I would say um, in our in our programs and or in my program and just friends in other parts of life. But actually, we were never really timid about talking about it to people. I think that that's something that you know we'd always read a lot of startup books and like a lot of entrepreneurial. Um, 
advice, whether it's like blogs or or podcasts. And one thing that we had really heard over and over was not to be like too precious about your idea and just feel like like especially a product like ours, it's easy to copy. And um we just thought we just need to start talking to people about it because if that's where we're going to get the best feedback, that's where we're going to get the best advice and the success of food period will be solely based on our ability to execute anyway. And so if someone's going to execute better than us, that's going to happen whether we talk about it now or in three months when we're properly selling. So did you actually go and make this in your kitchen for your friend? <laughs> Yeah, for the um, first couple, I would say we did make it out of our kitchens, but now we make it out of um, a commercial kitchen in Brooklyn. Mm. Is that expensive? Uh, it's not cheap, <laughs> but it's um, that's the only way to have it uh, certified. So. Mm. Okay. so, Got it. So uh, then, okay, what would you do from there? So you had the Shopify site, you had your first customer. How did you continue to grow? It sounds like pretty quickly you got into a commercial kitchen to be legit. Uh, but yeah, how did you then continue to get more and more customers? So actually, we still have yet to do any paid advertising. All of our customers have come to us completely organically. And I think that is a, a testament to the fact that we were just talking to people about it early on. People had been already hearing about what we were doing for for a few months before we were even ready to launch. And so when it was available for sale, people were you know, telling their friends about it or their friend had already heard about it and they were just making that introduction or connection. I think a lot of the first sales were friends of friends or friends of friends of friends who like reached out to us and we personally had to either grab coffee with them or get on a phone call or answer an email that was kind of describing what we were doing because we hadn't really nailed the education piece yet. And so if they hadn't heard of seed sinking or seed cycling, it was, it was a bit of a individual sale yeah we also got some customers from the pitch competitions that we've been doing and it's interesting because um, it's hard to drive any traffic at all to your website if you don't have anything like ads running but we're pretty active on our instagram account and most of our traffic is coming from our instagram hmm. how many followers do you have on instagram i think we're over 2500 now okay, and um and I they're think very engaged very engaged yeah. like they've started answering each other's questions on posts now <laughs> which is super wow. exciting so this is an organic community starting and i think this is another thing that's important actually vadim and i tried i don't know maybe six or seven business ideas before we got to one that was making any money uh, and one thing that we learned over time is it's really important to have a product that has some pull in the market there's there's so much of a pain so much of a need that people are asking you i want to buy it or talking about it with their friends and with your product that's really baked in because people with with issues with their period clearly want that solved you want that solved immediately uh and you're going to start that process as quickly as you possibly can so that's that's great to hear and then you guys also have a product that automatically has renewals baked in as well because it's an issue that people have to face with every month and so you do a multi-subscription service right yeah, we do. Actually, and that's one thing that we thought would be challenging because the seed sinking protocol, you need to follow it for three months. That's how naturopathic doctors, functional MDs, that's how they prescribe the protocol. And um, that's really just to see the full benefits of it. And so we're like, how, you know, how are people going to like do this? How are they going to continue? Are they going to give up? And actually, we've seen that like the earliest um like churn if somebody's going to churn they're going to churn after the first month maybe they didn't enjoy the taste maybe the price point was too high and so 
if we we know if we get them for month two, then like we've got them committed and they're in it to win it um, <laughs> and really improve their cycle. So then what's the lifetime of the average customer? I know you haven't been doing it that long, but... Um. Yeah, it was so interesting. We were um, in the kitchen the other night and we still handwrite notes for every single customer, whether it's their first box or their sixth. And um, I wrote an a note for someone and it was their ninth box with us and she was one of our earliest customers and it was just exciting to see kind of how long people were willing to commit and you know if they're seeing the benefits which in her case um, we've talked with her quite a bit so we know she is uh, that you know for her I think it's going to be something that's going to be part of her life for many years. I love the the uh, sort of approach of doing the handwritten notes. Clearly, you're helping build the community. You're really integrated in it. How'd you guys come up with a price point, if you can talk about that? So we are looking at something that we maybe we thought as our competitors. So we think that maybe supplements are and also um, daily snack bars such as granola bars might be our competitors. And when you break down the $68 a month, which is the cost of our subscription box down to to a daily cost, it's $2.34 a day. So that's equivalent to having, I don't know, an RX bar or something every day. Yeah, so I think for us, we felt like we were serving two purposes for the customer. We're like their women's health supplement and we're also their daily snack. So we double as both, which is awesome. Um, I think we can't kind of reverse engineered like that but I think in the beginning we just kind of guessed what like seemed reasonable and honestly we didn't even do like a cost analysis or anything like that because we were still buying ingredients at retail we were at like Whole Foods every other day <laughs> like picking up seeds in the in the early days and so um yeah I think we just kind of like guessed what we thought seemed like the right fit and actually it's funny how like now when we look at obviously our margins and things like that it seems like a sweet spot for customers no that's great and i mean and i've seen the product i've tasted it actually men can have it too don't worry you're not gonna magically start having a perfect period here guy Uh, but the product tastes uh, delicious the boxes are beautiful i can tell you put a lot of care into it we have a couple customers at work that use it which is why i get to see those beautiful boxes um all the time and uh, and then you you guys also had a little help from some funding that you were able to attract to this business, again, because the mission is so important. I think it's that's part of the reason why you were able to attract some of that funding. Talk to us about how much you raised and, and how. Yeah, so I always, like in the beginning, I was always thinking, what was this business journalism degree worth? Like, <laughs> And actually, the best part of it is that it brought me and then later Jen to NYU Um, We've been part of uh, a number of competitions. We've applied to numerous grants available for students. And we've actually raised, um, I think, 104,000 in non-dilutive grant funding to date. Great. Non-dilutive meaning that they didn't have to give up any equity in order to attract that funding. That's what grants are. So I know you guys won the NYU 300K competition. What was the prize there? It was 75,000. Yeah, so that kicked it off. And then I'm sure that helped you attract some other grants. And now you guys are full time? Yeah, well, we've been full time kind of since the beginning. When Jen moved here, she was full time on it. As soon as I graduated, which was this past December, uh, I was full time on it. And so 
Amazing. Uh, Jen and Britt joined the Summer Launchpad Program Accelerator this summer. They started off with 40-some-odd uh, subscriptions. Their product, if you look on the website, you'll see it starts at $68 a month. So it's not a cheap product, but when you think about it, actually, and you think about RX Bar every day, it is a cheap product. So uh, they started off with about 40, and the following month, they grew 79%, and they continue to steadily grow since then. Tell us how you plan on continuing growing because right now I know you guys are improving your processes. You've hired a team, the kitchen staff, so that you're not actually making the moon bites yourself, which is great. You're getting ready for scale. How are you going to grow from here um, other than just word of mouth? Yeah, so I think one of the main reasons that we've kind of just let growth be organic up until this point is the production is this whole other business in itself. Um, and so we're actually working with a couple of co-packers in the U.S. right now. I'm trying to trying to figure out a way to manufacture um, our product so that we're not making it out of the commercial kitchen space anymore. And so as soon as we have that supply chain um, set up, I think we're really going to pull um, the trigger on on all of the different growth um, like plans and strategies that we have. One of the biggest ones that we've seen. Um, is you know working with different health influencers and these can be anyone from like a nutritionist or a naturopath to somebody who's just really committed to um, you know raising awareness about natural options for women's health and we've had a couple um, really amazing women who are micro influencers on Instagram pick up our product they've actually paid for our product and like did a whole unboxing talk to their community wow. community about it and within the 24 hours that those Instagram stories are live we've seen a huge conversion um, in in sales and so we're excited because now these influencers are reaching out to us they want to be part of what we're doing they really connect to the mission no one else is really doing this um, in terms of products and so I think we're just really excited to execute on all of that and really involve women that have found us organically and and are linked to our mission. And are you guys planning on staying self-funded slash grant-funded for now? I think we go back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, I think we go back and forth because... Um, We've, we've talked to a lot of different entrepreneurs, like successful entrepreneurs, about their thoughts on raising money. And I mean, some of them have done it completely self-funded, whether that was their choice or it was just too difficult to raise on their idea. And I think that there, it's back to that idea of ownership and owning what you're doing and really being able to drive your vision for the company. But there are others then that have told us, you know, if you want to really change the world, like you're going to need money behind it. And we really want to change the world. And so um, if that's like giving up ownership is going to be part of something that not completely, obviously, we still want good terms, but um, <laughs> it's going to be part of that vision and that journey we're open to it too yeah i think it's important to consider obviously what's important to you personally whether it's ownership whether it's scaling the company and sometimes that definition changes over time and that's okay as well it sounds like you guys have a great relationship together and you'll be able to work through it and when you when you also when you raise money there are ways especially if you're growing there are ways to raise money in a way that you don't completely give up control with investors that actually support your growth and don't force you to do things that you don't want to do in the business so um, I hopefully you'll be able to find that and I'll, I'll certainly do my part at NYU to to see to that that you guys don't get screwed <laughs> by investors because that's the last thing that I'm gonna let happen 
Uh, so where can our audience and people listening to this episode find you? More importantly, where, I, where can I find you guys so I can try these moon bites from Food Period? So you can visit our website, foodperiod.com. Getting that domain name is another story in itself. Um, but you can also find us on Instagram. That's probably where we're most active. We're at food.period. Someone had at food period. Um, oh, I know. Um, and so that's probably the easiest way to find us. We actually are the ones who are checking all of the direct messages. Um, it's been something that we realized we can't really hand over because that's like our direct portal to our community. So if you ever want to get in touch with us personally, that's the best way. So Britt and Jen, you can reach out to them directly, foodperiod.com. Give us the 30 seconds. How'd you get the domain? Because now people are going to be curious. <laughs> <laughs> so when we first searched the name, actually my dad came up with the name Food Period. Wow. And uh, and he just called me one day. And so I, I left a brunch with friends to go like home and try to buy this domain name. And it was taken. And so I would periodically keep checking. And all this... Ooh, periodically. Sorry. That's forced laughter, everyone. Knows. <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. I would keep checking um, to see if it was available. And one time I found that it was up for auction. And so um, I have a cousin and he works at a really amazing company, uh, two cows i'll give them a shout out um because him and his team got on the phone with the domain seller and they actually negotiated down the price because they were trying to sell it for thirty five hundred dollars you know we're still early stages we hadn't won the hundred plus k at this point and so they they negotiated it down for us and he gave us a 24-hour window to make the purchase and so i was in london at the time um like making this purchase in the <laughs> middle of the night like to try to link up with the time uh, back in North America and we ended up getting it and so it was great sounds like a great decision because food period sounds like a great brand name thank you dad <laughs> for coming up with that uh, it was really great and fun to have you guys on the show we wish you a lot of success uh, we think that you're doing something very very important and it's pretty clear because you're growing organically so uh, congratulations on what you've already been able to accomplish and uh, we look forward to following your story thank you for having us on such an amazing podcast <laughs> yeah thank you so much as a listener of the show, you can get $20 off when you order your first box of Food Period by going to foodperiod.com and using the discount code THEMENTORS20, that's THEMENTORS20 upon checkout.